it's the next level. You ever play Operation? Sure. Don't touch the sides. I... I always... got nailed... on the funny bone. You like to play games, John? Welcome everyone once again as we head back to that island for another episode of We Have to Go Back, Lost Revisited from the Next Level Podcast Network. I am Ben Beck. And from Pod the Podcastica Network, I am Kristen Howell. This episode, we continue on as we review and break down two more episodes of the first season, episodes 24 and 25, Exodus, part two, part one, and part two, part three, <laughs> part three, part four, and part five, part D. Yeah, it's it's confusing. Section, Section C. Section A. <laughs> <laughs> Sections, section A, uh, addendum forty two. Finale. Yes. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's weird. I mean, you look on IMDb and and some other ones, and it's Exodus Part One, and then there's Exodus Part Two, Part One, Exodus Part Two, Part Two, and those are the two we're covering. Uh, bottom line: this was the two hour season one finale uh, that aired on ABC when season one first wrapped up. So. I know season. I know ABC aired it as a two-hour finale. Hulu has it as two separate episodes, uh, as part one and part two of part two Exodus. But we're covering them both this time. We're gonna we're gonna cover them as ABC aired them, which was the two-hour finale. So we got a lot to break down. In My this. goodness, there was a lot of episode here. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, we you know figure without commercials, it's still about an hour and a half. It's it's basically a mini movie. Uh, yeah. No, it's not even a mini movie. It's a movie. Yeah. It, it's, <laughs> I had my hand hurt from notes after <laughs> it was over. Like, it was just, and then I would have a thought, and so I would press pause, and I'd write out, you know, my entire thought, and then I'd go again, and as they were talking, I'm trying to write as fast as I can. <laughs> well, see, that's why you got to do what I do and just have bullet points. No. Mm-mm. Full on I notes. don't trust my brain to remember stuff. Oh. Well, well, Okay. All right, but fair enough. Uh, so yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna do a top five, uh, spoiler full in case you don't know this already. Uh, not as in like we're gonna intend to spoil the future of the series, but I'm sure oh, stuff will come up. No, no, no. I I I will. This episode, I will be actually spoiling a lot of stuff. <laughs> I just want to put it out there. If like, if you don't want spoilers. 
maybe you go to next week and we'll we'll talk to each other then. <laughs> well, you know, on that note too, I mean, it's it's fair enough to tell you know the listeners are we we're doing a season recap next week, I believe. Yeah. Okay, and then and then we're gonna jump into season two shortly afterwards i gotta look and see because there's only a couple weeks left of 2018 i can't believe 2018 is almost over i'm it's... ready to kick it to the curb <laughs> yeah you've had a you've had a bit going on uh on your end this year as have i yeah oh no i think 2018 brought the pain for everybody <laughs> it's like a body slam to, well uh, of it's years. even it's even numbered years 2016 if you will not if 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 you forgot, like every celebrity died. Like it was just the queen got really ill. Carrie Fisher died. Um, was that uh, 2016? Mom died. That was 2016. Wow. That feels like it wasn't that long ago. I know. Well, time moves fast when you're older. No, stop reminding me of that. <laughs> I'm older than you. Not by much, yes. but yes, but you are. I know. But like a year still. Yeah. Uh, all right. But uh, yeah, so we're going to go through our top five of these episodes combined into one. And I'm sure we're going to have a ton of notes to talk about afterwards, too, because, you know, it, there's so there's so many bullet points I have. As you said, your hand hurt. I have a ton of bullet points for this one. And um, but let's just jump right into it because uh, cool. we're, we're going to have a little bit of time. It's going to take us a little time to get through this. So. The more time we spend on this, uh, the more the better it'll be. Um, so, top five, starting with number five, I'll kick it off to you. What is your number five for this season one finale? So, my number five is kind of strange. It's um, I I started thinking about the scene with um, Claire and Son when Son asked Claire, "What does Aaron mean?" and she said, "I don't know what it means." And you know the the baby wasn't named until that until this episode and it wasn't until she was screaming at Charlie to get Aaron back that we found out that she really had named the baby and maybe she just yelled out the name not knowing that that was his name or something like that so i started looking into the name Aaron and you know Aaron is a big biblical uh name as well Aaron was the brother of Moses and Moses led the Exodus out of out of Egypt, um, and he was there. So it says that Aaron was named in the episode titled Exodus. Okay, so so Aaron was sent to meet Moses, who was his long lost brother, to cooperate with him in all that they were required to do for the Exodus. And Aaron itself means mountaineer. It means uh, a mountain of strength for others, an illuminator. Um, now, if you loosely parallel the long-lost brother aspect of it, I'm just kicking this off. Okay. <laughs> with spoilers. Uh, Jack and Claire are long-lost brother and sister, and they don't know it, right? And Aaron is a part of that link. And so for Aaron to be named after somebody who had a long-lost brother, and he was named in the episode where that long-lost brother, you know, it was named the... The episode is named Exodus, which is what Moses did. I just think that um, if I had more time to really flesh this out, which I didn't because this was something that I thought of this morning, that, you know, the biblical references here and the foreshadowing for Jack and Claire and kind of what 
um, what they are from from a family standpoint. Aaron um, being a mount, uh, an other's mountain of strength where the others take the children and who knows why. Um, it just, it, it all seems to have like this weird little circle connection. What do you think? No, I, and I, I agree with you, uh, you know, a lot of this, and this is one of the reasons why I really love this show. This is the, not the first time that I, be, I believe it's not the first time so far in this first season that we've got the religious implication into, you know, into the story. I think it's definitely the deepest of all that we've gotten so far, but it's certainly not the last as well. Mm-hmm. It's far from the last time we get the religious implications into it. So I think the writers, you know, this is one of those things that some people could hear that entire explanation that you just gave and say, well, I think you're overthinking it. And this is that one show that I'm like, no, I don't think you're overthinking it at all. I think this is t- between, you know, Aaron being given the name Aaron, the show title being titled Exodus, um, I think, one, not only did the writers know exactly what they were doing by putting that all together, but it also leads me even further to believe something I already believed at this point in that, you know, one of the biggest complaints that people have about this this series is that they feel that the writers didn't know where they were going to go with it. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned, again, this is a big spoiler for the future, about Claire and Jack being, mm-hmm. you know, half-brother, half-sister. And I think that full on thinking even more about it and because of what you had just revealed, the writers, even at this point during season one, knew that connection. This mm-hmm. was something they knew was they these two characters were connected in this way. This was in their back pocket the whole time. Well, and be well, and we knew that Christian Shepherd already from this season that Christian Shepherd was in town, was in Sydney looking for his daughter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so this is something that the writers knew full well this was going to be it, um, that this was something that was going to happen. So, you know, it's a brilliant way to, one, connect these two characters and two, still bring in that religious implication. I mean, you look at, you know, one of the two main characters that we're going to meet later, which is Jacob. I mean, you really can't get... You know, with the exception of Moses, you really can't get more of a religious name. Uh, well, than Jacob. Jay, yeah, well, and his relationship with his brother of the man in black. I mean, that could be just like um, Jacob and Isaac, or it could be like um, Cain and Abel. So, Adam and Eve. You know, I mean, you know, when you look at, uh, I think it's uh, like uh, the man in black and his mother. Oh, well, yeah. Even though they're not, that's not, uh, that's mother and son, not, you know, Adam and Eve, but still. So, yeah, I, well, I mean, well, Jacob and, and the man in black could all, could always be linked to me to Jacob and Isaac only because one of them, uh, when they've split off, you know, one of them was uh, kind of the, the, the leading uh, line of Christianity where the other line was kind of the leading line of, I believe it was um, uh, Muslim religion. It was either the Muslim religion, I think so, because the Christianity line was the jewish line until you know jesus was born and then that kind of became fractioned again um so uh, just when you look at it biblically i my interpretation of it has always been that that jacob and the man in black were 
uh, on opposite ends of each other, much like uh, Jacob and Isaac were in the Bible. Yeah. I mean, I always related to, I always related Jacob and the man in black more to Cain and Abel um, than, than any other religious ones. But I, there, I, there's no, there's no doubt in my mind, there's absolutely religious implications between those two characters. And well, and there's always been religious references in this show. You know, they've always taken uh, themes and ideas, I think, from the Bible which is great because I think the Bible is in, in a, you could, you could go in there and you can make any horror film, love film, action film, like anything that you ever wanted to make. It's in the Bible. I guarantee it. Um, but, but that aside, the, just the way that Aaron was named during this episode that was titled Exodus and his, and his link to Claire, Claire's linked Jack. It just, I love it when all of that kind of stuff and that stuff that doesn't have to come together right now, but that's the beginning of kind of the future of this show is just laying down those little tiny pearls that can be gleaned from later. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, and it kind of leads me into uh, my, my top five is going to jump all over the place. Cool. Um, so, but uh, so I, I, I'm just going to go with it. And if, they tie together what even if it's something i would put as number one but we talked about it as number five it's that's just the way it's going to be mm-hmm. um but it leads me into one of the ones i do have for my top five and that's you know you make the connection uh you know how you just mentioned how there's all these connections being made between religious implications characters and things like that leads me into my number five which is going to be the backstories the the flashbacks that we get in this episode uh these these are the most immediate flashbacks that we're getting meaning we're not getting anything further back than the airport before their flight there's nothing oh for this episode for this episode yeah for right for these two episodes the flashbacks that we're getting are purely literally an hour or two before they're about to board this plane and this is really the biggest time out of all of them that we're seeing the the real big connection of all these characters and it's a very loose connection the the basic connection is that they're all getting on the same plane Mm -hmm. but it's when we go into season two and season three that connection is going to exponentially grow and we're going to see how truly connected these people really are outside before they even met each other. Every connection that we have seen up till this point, you know, with Sawyer happening, you know, happens to be in the police station when Boone goes in to file a report on Shannon being beaten or Hurley on the television set. Uh, you know, when Jin goes in to intimidate the, the guy for um, for Mr. Pink. Um these can up to this point could really only be scratched up to coincidence uh if nothing else but we're going to find out after this you know we're taking this scene of them all in the airport of you know hurley passes arst in the tries to cut in front of arst in the security line (laughs) and um you know we find out a little bit more about Jin, which I'll get I'll get to a little bit later on, whether it's in the top five or in the notes uh, and that scene with the guy that he meets in the in the bathroom and Sawyer still being allowed on the plane. And then, of course, my favorite one of the ultimate bad luck that Hurley has of he really should not have caught this flight and he ends up catching it anyway, only to crash on the island. 
Um, Hurley's flashback was my favorite out of all of them. Um, you know, bribing the guy for like $1,600 for his scooter just to get to the plane and, and everything else. Can I read something to you? Yeah, sure. Sorry, I didn't. I, it, it's about Hurley. I was going to bring it up at some point, and I think this is the perfect time to, re- to read it. <clears throat> Were you going to talk about Hurley and the numbers at all? Oh, yeah. Yep. But you can go into it. It's fine. No, it's okay. I just, I have it all like laid out in front of me. It's like a short little paragraph. But it just basically says, in room 2342 of his hotel, Hurley wakes up late for his flight due to localized power outage on his way, blah, 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 blah. And then it says, uh, on the way to the airport, he experiences several mishaps, including a flat tire in which his car slows from 42 to 16, (laughs) then 15, then 8, and finally 4, arriving at the wrong terminal. He runs through the airport, passing a team of soccer players wearing the jerseys with the numbers in numerical Uh order. He buys an electrical scooter from an old man for $1,600, manages to get to the terminal just as they're closing the gate. At gate 23, Hurley finds the um, blah, 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 blah. So it was gate 23, and of course we know it was flight 815. Um, and then there was also the guy was wearing a hat that said crazy eights on it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There are so many implications. And believe it or not, that's actually not even one of my top five. So we can talk about that. Well, um, that's okay. I just you said that Hurley was like you, you were just talking about Hurley. And I thought, well, this is a good time to just like say this just because I think that Hurley and the numbers are more closely connected than anybody else, any other survivor on the island. Well, I mean, we and, and I think you're right, especially up to this point. But we do find out the numbers do play a very important part in the rest of the castaways. Um, yeah. At least a small click, not um, not necessarily all of them. Uh, I mean, I'm, again, we're going to be spoiling a lot this episode for the future of this uh, season. But, I mean, when it comes down to the main core, you know, Jin, Sun, uh, Hurley, Saeed, Jack, Kate, uh, and Locke, you, you're going to find out later their seat numbers. And their seat numbers are all 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, mm-hmm. and 42 on the plane. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, these numbers play an important part for everybody, but I 100% agree this, the, these numbers, oh man, these numbers play a huge part going into season two mm-hmm. when it comes yeah, to the I, hatch. And, it's, and I think that that's kind of the point of this entire episode is just like, it's laying the groundwork for the next season, which is really, really awesome. Yeah. Oh yeah. Every, I mean... The characters that we're going to meet next season and, uh, you know, the, the the new locations and everything, uh, I, I really can't wait to jump it's in. It's going to get two. turned up to 11. Yeah, uh, uh, very quickly, too. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyways, go on with your number five. I'm sorry for interrupting no, you. No, no, no. It, it's totally fine. But, yeah, it's just we're going to, again, all these flashbacks that we've seen so far and the this, this short little connections that we've seen to other characters can be scratched up to coincidence. But you're going to find out as we go forward, they're taking this whole incident of them getting on the plane together and tying them all together into one one particular connection of them all being on this flight. That's going to grow exponentially, and you're going to find out how connected these characters really are going forward. And it's such a fun journey that I really can't wait until mm-hmm. we dive into it a little bit more. I agree. So, but that's my number five. Um, what about you? Let's moving forward. What about your uh, your number four? Well, it's really funny that you that our numbers are kind of flowing into each other because um, I this is a good time for me to bring up 
the theme of resolve. Uh, so I started making a list of just because these characters seem to all have like a lot of resolve. And I, I noticed that I was using that word a lot in my notes. And when you say that Hurley shouldn't have been on that flight, it's funny because I put that he had resolved that he was going to be on that flight. And he did everything in his power to get on that flight, showing that he had a lot of willpower. And when he decided that he wanted to do something, he was going to do it. Much like Locke, who all of a sudden the wheelchair was missing from the plane. And Locke was like, he he found out that he might not be able to get on the plane because this wheelchair had inexplicably gone missing to get him on the plane. So he, you know, completely set his dignity to the side <laughs> and he allowed himself to be carried onto the plane because he had resolved he was going to get on that plane. Don't tell me what I can't do, right? Yeah. Um, and then Jin was getting on that plane because he had resolved that he was going to fix his marriage and he was going to leave Mr. Paik, which proved that that was going to be a little harder uh, with the meeting he had in the bathroom. But I have a feeling that he would have been able to, maybe he wouldn't have been able to escape Mr. Paik if, if they had already found out that he had, um, that he had planned to escape with Sun. So probably his resolve to get onto the plane, to get to LA, uh, to try and fix his marriage, him being on the island was that, was that solution that he was looking for, uh, which is interesting because I could digress into why the hell does he want to get off the island? But whatever. Well, I, it, it's it's fun. I want to. I'm going to interrupt you for a moment if you don't mind. No, not at all. Um, I want to jump backwards real quick too to to the whole wheelchair thing because that was actually one of two nitpicks that I had for this that I never really thought about before. Is that that wheelchair is missing, but yet somehow it's on the island after the plane crashes. Um, no, that was his wheelchair. They had a special wheelchair to to okay. load him onto the island. Okay, that's or, uh, uh, to load him onto the. I know plane. what you, I knew what you meant. <laughs> um, but the other thing that I have as a nitpick, um, that one can be explained because that one wasn't as big of them. But the other one I had is, and this is kind of jumping into a completely different storyline for a minute. But on the Black Rock, um, when they find the crates of dynamite. Um, this is a slave ship, as they find out, probably from like the 1600s. It's hundreds of years old. Mm -hmm. But yet somehow it had explosives written in spray stenciled spray paint on the side of the crates of dynamite. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. I, that's a com I'm like, OK, I understand why you wrote explosives on the crate, because you somehow had to have somebody find them without opening them because they were going to be opening them outside the ship. But you couldn't do something else than spray paint them with a stencil because that's completely out of the time period. Yeah, you're right. That's you're completely right. Completely out of the time period. Unless it was put there, but we can go off on that. Yeah. Uh, but going back to the whole gin and the bathroom moment and everything and, you know, realizing that he originally wanted to fix his marriage and you know, escape to LA, but he doesn't have that opportunity. You know, he has that whole bathroom moment before they leave Australia. And one of the, one of the things I really did like about this episode is it goes from that scene into son 
or Jin being on the raft and looking so happy and yeah like looking content and smiling mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. you you really start to realize at that moment that he's found his escape mhm mm and he's He's realized because I think you're right. I think that he had it in his head that he was going to go to L.A., fix his marriage, escape. And when he had that moment in the bathroom by that gentleman who we can only assume works for Mr. Paik, we had to, you know, he it was probably a rude awakening for him that that no matter what I want to do, I'm not going to be able to do it. Right. And then he has that moment of calm and release on the raft when he realized, you know, when he, cause he probably knows now I'm no longer in this situation. Mm -hmm. And it's such a relieving moment, not only for Jin, but as the viewer, because you've totally, because as of Exodus part one, you've completely come around on Jin. You know, he was a character you kind of felt was very harsh, maybe even a little rough, but you know, because of the whole scene with him and son that we talked about last week, Mm -hmm. You come around on his character completely that when you get that moment and you see that look in his face, you really feel that with him. And that was one yeah. of my favorite moments from this episode. Well, you know, I don't really like Jin very much. I'm kind yeah. of ambivalent towards him. Okay. <laughs> I know. It's it's like you say every week. Jin is the worst. Jin is the worst. No, he's not. No, he's not. Uh, no, he's, he's certainly not. not. Um, okay, so I'm going to just... Uh, Continue on. I'm sorry. I didn't mean... Yeah. As quick as I can. So... Hurley was resolved to get on the plane. Jin was resolved to get on the plane. Uh, John Locke was. Jack had an argument about getting his father on the plane and getting on that plane so that he could go bury his father because he almost didn't get on the plane either. The U.S. Marshal almost didn't get on the plane because he had five guns and he was resolved to get on the plane with Kate. Kate didn't want to be there. We all know it. Um, Michael was resolved to try and be a father to Walt. Uh, Saeed was resolved to find Nadia um, after he was released from custody at the airport. Claire was resolved to get on that plane to find Aaron a family. Um, Michael and Jin were both trying to save their family and get off of the island. So now we're away from just what was happening on the flight, right? So Michael and Jin, in hopes of saving their family members on the island, both of them had resolved to make that raft to get off the island and to find some hope, find some rescue for their loved ones. And then Danielle wanted to get Alex back so bad that she stole Aaron. So she had resolved to kidnap a child to try and get her own child back. So I just saw like a lot of willpower and just a lot of determination in this episode, just kind of sprinkled throughout uh, both hours. No, and, and I can see a lot of that as well. I mean, when, and when I said like Hurley wasn't meant to be on this plane, I, I didn't take it as like he had no resolve because he was definitely a man on a mission to get <laughs> onto that plane. But it's almost as if he wasn't reading Destiny at the time. Because right. Because something was telling him, you should not be on this plane. And he just was not listening. He wasn't having it. I would have already. I would have decided, you know what? I'm good. Yeah. Clearly fate doesn't want me there. Not going to do it. I would have been <laughs> the same exact way. I, you, know, you know what? I'll wait on standby for another flight. I'm good. Like I'm call my mom and be like, let me tell you about this crap that's <laughs> happened since I woke up and why I'm not going to be there for your birthday. Yeah, I know it's your birthday. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not going to be there. But here's why. Yeah. yeah. I would have given up already too. So that's just, 
Well, and that's why we're not meant for the island, Ben. <laughs> I don't know if I ever shared this story with you, but this is kind of like a, one of the first times. My sister lives in Colorado, and I went to uh, Colorado one year for Thanksgiving. I flew out to spend Thanksgiving with her, her husband, her kids, and, and such. And it was one of the first times I had ever flown by myself. I had flown a bunch of times before that, but I was always with other people. And I just remember sitting in the airport the day before Thanksgiving and looking around because loss was on at the time and looking around at everybody in the terminal and being like, okay, if this plane goes down, who am I going to befriend? Who am I going to, <laughs> you know, who, who's going to be part of my, my crew when, when we're trying to survive? And when I, when I landed, I told my sister that and my sister looked at me with this huge look of shame. I was like, what the? <laughs> I'm like, why are you looking at me that way? She's like, because you're a moron. If the plane went down on your way to Colorado, you're landing on the mainland. You're not landing on an island. Hey, man, you don't know that. That's true. I we we cover another show that that the plane disappeared and came back five and a half years later. So there. <laughs> well, that show also wasn't around at the time yet. Whatever, so, still holds. But my sister just gave me that look, like you idiot. You're that's okay. <laughs> that's hilarious. That's hilarious. But it was just so funny that I was like, "Yeah, I, I wonder who I'm going to befriend." And <laughs> but that's the mindset that some people had because of this show, and I was totally fine with it. I was I was sucked in. I was hooked in. <laughs> I love that. Well, that's my number four was just the theme of resolve. So okay, um, you know what? I, I'm gonna jump on. I'm gonna piggyback on that a little bit, and I'm gonna go my number four. And we have now been introduced to. Uh, we we talk about the islands testing people, um, and testing their resolve uh, as it could be at, at a number of times. And we have now been introduced to what is going to become. Uh, in season two, Charlie's biggest test. Uh, no. in, in that, you know, we see the scene with him running with Saeed to chase after Danielle. Uh, again, jumping into resolve, Charlie has that resolve in him that he is going to get Aaron back. Doesn't matter what it takes. And we see the extent of what that he goes through with that, too. In, in I felt that. What? Oh, oh, my God. Are you talking about I the gunpowder? felt that yeah i watch it i like ah and i watch a lot of horrendous shit on game of thrones <laughs> and i just sat there and, and you didn't even have to see it <laughs> you just knew it was horrible you heard the scream and you you felt his pain <laughs> yeah. from the scream uh yeah and you know he's he's dead set that he's going to bring aaron back he doesn't care what it takes gets hit in the head with rocks from russo's trap and yeah, I mean, busts his head wide open and Saeed, being the soldier that he is, you know, kind of flash, um, kind of flashes that wound to flashes it shut with gunpowder. And yeah, that's a that's something that's harsh to kind of imagine happening. Well, if that's not resolve, I don't know what is. And that wasn't even in my list. But yeah, <laughs> Charlie was resolved to find Aaron yeah. and save the day and. And there's and you know what and the and the beauty of that whole thing is too that there are other characters in this you know on this island there are other people on this island who know Charlie's resolve without Charlie having to prove it because uh, you know yeah. we get that moment with Son telling Claire if Charlie says he'll bring Aaron back he's going to bring Aaron back. What a beautiful thing to say too. Expe yeah, especially to a grieving mother at this point. Mm -hmm. You know, and you could tell at that moment that she. 
she believes her. She believes son because it calms her down. Absolutely. And this is also a woman who at this point hasn't had her memories completely brought back yet, which we got to jump into the one memory that does come back, um, which is kind of ties into this too. But going back to what I was originally saying, yeah, we're going to see, you know, in this chase of Rousseau, they come across the plane that fell uh, with the stat, you know, with the Virgin Mary statues that are filled with heroin and, you know, we we get that look that I remember one of the first times watching this series, not one of the first times, their first time watching that series. And when Charlie, who is clean at this point, sees that just the look on his face is it was one of those moments where I was watching. I was like, oh, shit. I'm like, please, Charlie, don't fall back into this. And you knew that it was hopeless. Yeah. Yeah. You, you knew. I mean, it's. It's one of those things that, you know, once in once an addict, always an addict, uh, you know, addiction is something that you fight all the time. It's not something that yeah. goes away. And right. knowing that, seeing this scene, you knew Charlie's challenge on this island, Charlie's time on this island, just knowing that there's heroin on it just got 50 times worse. Because yeah. now he's going to have to fight it. And he's in for a fight into season two. He's he's going to struggle with this. So Yeah, and you just I, I I had the same thing where you're just like, come on, dude, have it be different. Have it be different this time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I know every other time it happens, but it's Charlie. Charlie can do this. Like he's fine. So I right. mean uh, all we've seen but the last we see of it is you know Charlie staring down at that broken statue with the heroin in it uh and that's the last you see of it until next season. So there's no resolve on that before the end of this season. Oh resolution. Resolution sorry resolution. Yes. That's okay. We're using the word resolve so much I I'm, I'm thinking I should start cleaning the carpet or something. <laughs> that's right. It is a cleaner. <laughs> that's, that's my dad joke for you you're ridiculous <laughs> i am i am ridiculous but i'm adorable so it's fine <laughs> i will i will not deny that at all i will not fight you on that fact um all right moving on to our number three what's your number three for this episode so okay my number three is little but it's basically well i'll save that for later <laughs> no, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it right now. Um, is the events at the raft and the introduction of the others? Oh, that's yeah. I have that. We're going to combine our number threes then, because my cool. one of my top five is also me, I just called meet the others. Yeah, meet the others. <laughs> so we meet a man that has no name right now, but his name will be Tom Friendly, Mister Friendly, and he, is, and he is not so friendly. We're going to find out. Well. Nope. I, nope. He took a boy from his father. Fuck him. Okay. He, and then blew up his boat. He did it under orders. Okay. Don't care. I, I'm not defending. I'm not defending the actions at all. But I think you are. But that. But there are moments. Because we do find out quite a bit about Mr. Friendly as the show progresses. He he does become a, a, a pretty predominant character. Um, and there's one scene in particular of, oh God, you are going to love this. This is going to feed right into what you've been saying for a while. Um, Jack is the worst! 
<laughs> because there is that scene later on of Jack and Mr. Friendly having a football catch. And knowing, oh God, I didn't even think about that before I, I was ready to bring it up. But now that I am, that feeds right into you saying Jack is the worst. I'm telling you right now, Jack <laughs> is the worst. Okay, he was kind of okay in this episode, and I don't have a lot to add to Jack is the worst for this for once. But there's a little bit of Jack is the worst. And we'll get to that in our notes section. <laughs> uh, but no, you're, you're right. There's he's, He is certainly not a good guy at this point. No. Uh, you know, it's just... And I remember the first time I saw this episode where, you know, the boat came up and they're like, go, oh, what are you doing all the way out here? And they're all celebrating. And I'm like, it happened. Yay. You well, because know, there's like, also that music playing in the background. That's like a yeah. very hopeful, mu- oh, a very hopeful song. Completely fuck with you in this uh-huh. scene. It's so crazy. And, you know, it was just, you know, Sawyer had a hand in it. Jin had a hand. Like everybody on that raft had a little hand in it, you know, and. It was so exciting. And then all of a sudden, you know, officer friendly, he he says, but we're going to have to take the boy. And you could see everybody going, what? Uh, like uh, even what? Jin, even Jin, who knows zero English? He knows, <laughs> oh, shit's about to go down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and Michael is just like, um, what? No, what? You know, and then just that last image and, you know, when I first saw this show, I wasn't a parent. Now I am a parent, right? And as you know, you see Walt being taken off of the raft, and and they're and they're going away into open water, right? And he's like, "Dad, help! Please, Dad, help me!" My heart is just like, like I don't know what you do in that moment. The boat's been blown up. You're in the ocean, and knowing my instincts, I would start swimming after the boat, thinking I could catch up with a boat. But then it's like, if I swim too much, now I'm in open water at night in the middle of nowhere. Right. And, and so it's like, do I, it's like, you have to watch your son go away because if you swim after him, there's no, I, I mean, there's no telling if you're ever going to find that boat again, because that raft, while it did explode, there was very little fire left to it. So if he had swam too far, it, it is possible he never would have found his friends or the raft or anything like that. So all you could do there is is just float in the ocean and scream your head off. I mean, there's nothing else that you could do. It was just it's like this helpless feeling that I, I felt in in both father and son screams. And and then you think about the fact that how they started and you see how they started where he's trying to give away Walt to his mom and they're barely talking to each other. And, um, you know, and, and then you get these flashes of, of Walt is finally telling Michael, you know, my mom was wrong. I should have been in my, you should have been in my life. You should have been my dad. And they're so close now. And, and the others fucking took that from them, you know, and it's just, it wasn't right. It just wasn't right. (laughs) Um, well, not but only... did you notice that Michael said that they were 15 miles away? Uh, no, I didn't even pick up on that. So another reference of the numbers. Yes. Uh, but, but I have a question for you. Okay. Before you talk. Sure. Why on earth was Michael so upset that Sawyer had that gun? You know, I thought about that too when I watched that scene. And I don't think necessarily it's the fact that he was... I think he was probably more upset about the fact that he didn't tell him. 
Like I think he he I think he kind of understood why he had it. Mm-hmm. Um but I think he was more because obviously by the fact that he gave it back to him. Uh, I think the fact that he gave him the gun back, he understood why he had the gun. It was for their protection. But I think it's the fact that he didn't reveal that to him. Like, hey, I brought this on board to protect us. Uh, he didn't feel like I don't. I think Michael felt kind of betrayed in that Sawyer couldn't trust him with that information. Betrayed or micromanager? Could be a little bit of both. Because he's just. I don't know. I, I just feel like Michael is is somebody who, if he were to be your boss, your life would be pretty miserable. Yeah. I, I well, no, I agree. You know what? Thinking about him that, and Jim yelled at yeah. each other constantly. Yeah, and I mean, and you're talking about like there's definitely a breakdown in communication between those two characters. So there was not only because of that breakdown was it a little bit was it a little bit more impossible, but I think. Michael just didn't have the patience that he could. Well, he that doesn't he have the have. patience for his his son in the beginning. He doesn't have patience for Sawyer. If Sawyer makes, I mean, Sawyer didn't make the mistake of of the bamboo rod slipping off when they were trying to get the raft into the water. But Michael, it is very quick to shift blame on another person. I don't. I I think I have yet to see him own up to anything. I mean, even when when Walt said, "Well, why weren't you in my life?" He said, "Well, your mom didn't want it that way." It's like, dude, you, the mom is dead. Okay, his mom is dead. She like, can't defend herself. Six weeks ago, like maybe you just say. It just didn't work out that way. Or, you you know, we thought that maybe it would be better if you had two parents in the same house or with Brian or whatever, right? Or blame it on Brian because Brian's an a-hole. We've learned that. But why are you bad-mouthing the mom? It's like he's not owning up to anything. Even when he's going to be a father um, and he's got to take his kid back to L.A., rather than switch around his life and see if work can, like, work with him and kind of the new normal for Michael, he just wants to... Just, mom, it wasn't supposed to be like this. I think you should take him. Yeah. You know? So I I still honestly have yet to hear him own up to anything now that I think about it. And I'll have to think about it some more. Maybe he has, but he's a very blame-shifty kind of character. I think you're right. I don't think he's owned up to anything at this point. I think everything that has happened, he's he's pawned off onto someone else. Um, it was Locke's fault that he wasn't close to Walt, or it was uh, Jin's fault that Sun could speak English. Who knows? I, I, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. No, and, and I agree with you. It's a point I definitely see the more I think about and the more I look back at everything. And I think you're right. I think it could be a, a little bit of, you know, column A of him feeling betrayed that Sawyer couldn't trust him with that information. But two, the, you know, the micromanaging aspect of that he should have known that information. It mm-hmm. should have been, he should have been privy to that the moment it happened. Or not only that, but Jack should have trusted him with the gun over Sawyer because it's his boat. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, I think it is. I think it's a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. So, okay. I'll, but, I'll roll with that. Um, but, you know, keeping on with, with the others a little bit, you know, this is the yeah, first time sorry. that, no, it's, it's weird because we've. It, the show kind of played a little bit of a misdirect for a short, very short period of time in that, you know, Rousseau made it known that there were others on this island. And then everybody started to believe that there were others. And then the story of the black smoke with, you know, uh, of that's how you know that they're coming. And 
Well, with the whispers of take the boy, and Danielle thought that it meant the baby, but take the boy probably, most likely, only meant, uh, really meant Walt. Oh, I don't think there's a probably to it. I think that's exactly what they meant. Okay, cool. Because, I mean, you go with, you know, we have to take the boy, and then that's exactly what Mr. Friendly says. We're going to have to take the boy. So I, I right. think that's exactly what they meant when with the whispers. I think mm-hmm. Rousseau read the situation wrong, and I don't think it's ever revealed whether or not she was really the one that lit the fire. Because Charlie accuses her of that flat out. Like you yeah. lit the fire to, you know, to kind of lure them here so that you could take the baby. He also calls her pathetic in her weakest and worst moment, much like that girl called him pathetic in his weakest moment before getting on the plane. Yeah. Yeah, which is a big reflection of, you know, uh, a, a big deflection on Charlie's part. Another blame shifter. Yep. But but you know what? I don't hold Charlie as guilty of it. Um, I, I think Charlie was acting purely in a moment of rage. Um, you know, in the fact that he kind of looks at Aaron almost as his own. Um, and he was not just protecting Aaron for Claire's sake. I think he was protecting Aaron for his own. Mm-hmm. For, for his own well I would agree as with well. that. You know, he looks to himself as kind of a surrogate father to, to Aaron. So, but jumping back to, you know, jumping back to the others, this is one of those mm-hmm. moments, you know, Charlie goes on that whole rant as you set the fire yourself. There really are no others. And as viewers, we kind of start to believe that because. It's, Wait, Jack said that when? No, Charlie said that. Thank you. Yeah. Did I say Jack? I think so. Oh, if I did, I apologize. I meant Charlie. Um, well, you're not forgiven. Oh, sorry. Oh, well, I just apologized again, and I'm not forgiven for that either. <laughs> but yeah, there's, you know, Charlie accuses Rousseau of, you know, saying, you know, you lit this fire yourself. You're, you're nothing but a crazy person. You did this to steal the baby. And it's done in such a way that as a viewer watching this for the first time, you probably start to believe that. And then you get that next scene of them on the raft and, you know, the the setting off the flare and the boat coming to them and the the music behind it of hope. And then you're struck with that immediate moment. Like, Oh shit. These are the others. They're real. Mm -hmm. And shit's about to go down. We're going to have to wait four or five months to find out what the hell it is. Yeah. But you know what? The first time I watched this show, I, there was, I did not think that those were the others. I thought that they were like deliverance. Really? Yeah, I mean, I was, they, you know, Tom Friendly, he looked super deliverancey, and there were two shadowy figures in the back, and they went off into open water, and they blew up the boat. Like, now, as I'm older, and I see that it was like a makeshift bomb, it wasn't a real bomb, it was some sort of, you know, Molotov cocktail that they had concocted, and, you know... Uh, and, and you know that there was no way that they could have even gotten off the island anyways, blah, blah, blah. But at the time, I thought that the raft plot and the hatch plot were going to be two separate plots moving forward. And that I, I, I just never for one minute thought that that was the others at the end of the first season. Oh, see, I, I had the intention that it was. I, I, I thought that it was the others. See, and this was at the time that I took this show for face value. It wasn't until really the second season that I realized that we had like a super duper mystery on our hands. Yeah. I thought we were watching more of a drama than a puzzle. And, and then, then we- once you shift your brain into puzzle, then you can re- look at the first season again and, and be like, oh, okay. So I was really stupid. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I didn't. I don't think you were stupid in not believing that. I think, you know, I. I really don't know if we knew what to believe at that point. And that's one of the ways that shows really work that well in that, you know, they build up that mystery, especially during a season finale, because they want you to, to be wondering until the show returns what mm. the hell was going on. So I don't mm -hmm. think you were stupid to not believe that. I think it was left up to interpretation at that point. We just saw it in two completely different ways when we saw it. Yeah. You know, I mean, okay. especially when we find out a little bit later that, you know, the whole deliverance look is completely made up. You know, they're fake beards and fake dirty mm -hmm. clothes. They live in normal houses. And again, that's they something... have book clubs. Yes, they have book clubs and kitchens and, and they bake for each other. And it's it's a literal community. And, mm -hmm. you know, we'll find out about it a little bit later on, too. Uh, the only other thing I want to make mention of about the others, uh, Mr. Friendly in particular, is I remember watching this series for the first time and actually being excited. It, we talked about this before with uh, we talked about this last week with Michelle Rodriguez in that you don't bring an actor of their level in unless they're going to be an important character. Yes. Um, and MC Ganey was another one of those actors for me in that I knew who MC Ganey was from movies like Con Air and uh, Leap of Faith and a bunch of stuff he's done in the past, uh, Mighty Ducks and things like that, that when I saw an actor of the level of MC Ganey playing this guy who's coming up to the boat, because we didn't know his name yet at this point, I knew he was going to be an important character. And I was looking forward to that because I was always a fan of MC Ganey. That's right. He was in Mighty Ducks. I totally he forgot was, about that till was, right now. He was Emilio Estevez's limo driver. Mm-hmm. He that drives on the ice with all the ducks in the limo. I just love <laughs> Mighty Ducks so much. <laughs> so yeah, so I I was actually excited to see MC Ganey coming into uh, coming into this series and. Because this was another one of those series, like, now we're so tainted by social media that we know of castings before they happen and, and things like that, and they become news stories. But back when, you know, in 2004, when this show had first launched, that wasn't as pertinent as it is now. So we didn't mm -hmm. really know who was coming into the new cast. We were excited about it when we saw it for the first time. So, or maybe we did, it was published but we didn't have as much access to it as we do now mm -hmm. so it i was, would agree with that it was always fun when we got those little surprises mm -hmm. so uh but that's a shared number three from the both of us uh what about your number two so my number two was the take the boy plot twist but i am prepared to switch it up okay. and um talk about the dynamite. Okay. So one thing that I do want to mention about the dynamite is uh, the clue callback with the short end of the strip <laughs> with uh, the sticks and, and how they were matching up the sticks. Uh -huh. like, the way that they like Jack and uh, the way that Locke and Kate looked at each other and they matched the sticks. I immediately thought of the movie clue. Um, you when and they were... me, honey bunch. I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I just uh I had a good little chuckle there just because it was wonderful. But um so I have a 
big fat problem with Jack. I know you do. I I understand that he was trying to protect Kate. And I think that that's really sweet. But to tell her that, you know, it was a wasted trip and you should just go back or something like that because she wants to help out and take the dynamite. Then he lies to her and takes the dynamite anyways. And the way that he staggers everybody, um, you know, he puts himself in front and then Kate and Hurley and then he puts um, Locke in the back. So the two backpacks with the dynamite are as far away from each other as they could possibly get. And then... um, and then I don't know if you noticed this, but when they were going across like a rocky little area, he was holding the back of his backpack the entire time, like really carefully. Uh-huh. Um, but it turned out that Jack was right because when it was time to run from the black smoke monster, Kate continued to wear her backpack. Okay, I'm glad you brought that up. Dynamite. I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to bring that up in defense of Jack with your argument. I was going to let you finish your argument and then I was going to bring that up and say as bad as that is, Jack was proven right that Kate was not responsible enough to carry yeah. out dynamite. Hey he- man, I'm I'm willing to let that go. I'm willing to say that Jack was right in that. But then later when Kate was like, hey, man, what was that? Blah, blah, blah. Instead of having a conversation about the dynamite, he decided to deflect it to we're going to have a lock problem. And I need to know that you have my back. And she's like, of course I have your back, Jack. Why wouldn't I? <laughs> and it's just like, oh, my gosh. Like what? So because Locke, because Locke thinks that he... And everybody else has been placed on this island, and it goes right to the beginning of the uh, of of the episode where Hurley says, "How how does something like that get here?" And Danielle goes, uh, "Are we on the same island?" Yeah, you know, it like everything that they've seen, everybody, all the whispers, him seeing his dead dad in um in the jungle and just all the crazy connections that have been happening, polar bears and black smoke monsters that they were just chased down by. He can't open his brain enough to think that maybe they are there for a reason. And he not only completely tells Locke that he's wrong, but now he's going to go start some shit with Kate. And he's like, Hey, we're going to have to take Locke down. I need to know that you have my back. It's like, Bitch, just because he's not a man of science like you and you are too pig-headed and narrow-minded to see that maybe there's stuff that you don't know about, um, it's just, he's the worst. Well, I, He's I, the you know, worst. But you know what? At the same time, I, I know how you feel about Jack, and I've already defended him once, and you kind of beat me to the punch with the whole dynamite and you know proving that Kate was not responsible enough to carry the dynamite. Mm-hmm. He does bring up another good point, and I, I'm going to use this as his defense, too, and that he says to Kate at one point during this entire conversation, look, everybody expects me, looks up to me to be this leader of this group, but yet everybody questions when I make a decision. Like, And he's absolutely right. If you appoint somebody as a leader, it means you trust in their decisions. You shouldn't be okay, questioning but- every single thing that they do. Otherwise, don't look to them as a leader. Well... Maybe it's time to get a new leader. But then, but if that's the case, stop putting the responsibility on Jack. Hey, I'd love to do that in more than just the fictional setting. But <laughs> right now, it can't happen. So, <laughs> right now, they're kind of stuck with who they're stuck with. They are. But, um, I mean, you know, you shouldn't... But he gets too volatile too quickly. And, now, and yes, I'm still talking about Lost. Um, he gets... 
because that could have bled into other aspects too. Um, but he gets too oh, volatile God. too quick. He gets too volatile too quickly, and he's like, you know, you got to stop second guessing me. And it's like, well, stop making stupid decisions. I mean, stop. He he's not open to other people's opinions. He's not collaborative. What he says goes. I mean, he's kind of a bulldog. But but this is also the guy that you've put in charge. Like, I didn't put him in charge. I know you didn't put him in charge. You're not on the island, you dope. But I meant like the, these characters. They they put him in charge by him being the one they constantly go to for answers and they for go to help him with all these things and and help with all these situations. If you wanted him to just be the island doctor, then just go to him for medical advice. Don't look for nice. him about how to deal with Rousseau. Don't go to him about where we should live, the island, the, the beach or the cave. By going to him with all these decisions, you ipso facto, you made him the leader. And But wouldn't you say that Kate and Locke and Saeed are just as much leadership figures of this group of people? Yeah. I, I think they're I think So it's why more... is it that he can't have like a small council? I think why he can't... should. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, it can't be all on him. And so if there are other leaders in the group, like, he, when if Saeed says something, he takes it very seriously, and he considers it. But if Kate says something, he passes it off as something that, you know, this crazy woman is saying. And all he really wants from Kate is for her to agree with him at all times. And that's it. Other than that, just stay quiet. Thank you. Well, I, and I think part of that is because Kate has also shown her irresponsibility. And I think that's the only you reason why he You mean like trying to open it. up a box of dynamite with a pickaxe? Well, that's one. And then giving her an explicit order that if anything happens, or we run into this, drop your bag and run. And she doesn't do that. But Jack yeah, she does. Everybody, she, everybody would have been dead. And so, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, we look at, you know, the explosive effect that dynamite had on Dr. Arst. You've got some Arst You've got on some you. Arst on. That is still one of my favorite lines from this entire series is you've I, got some arst on you. Um, that and Hurley's thumbs up to Walt on the plane are two great me moments of the episode. Yeah. But I mean, you, you, you look at, you know, how volatile that dynamite really was. If she had like just taken one running step forward, there was a chance they would all be dead. Mm -hmm. They'd all be dead. So, but it kind of leads me into this kind of all still really actually ties into my number two beautifully. Um, and unless you had more of yours, I don't want to cut you off. If no, you had more to I go got into. to bitch about Jack. I'm uh, good. Hey, man, you get to do that every episode. You're happy. I love it. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you mentioned the whole, you know, man of science, man of faith. And this is there's no beating around the bush this time it's said there are words that come out of Locke's mouth you were a man of science i have faith in what is to what that destiny brought us all here man of science man of faith it is not just a lesson or a, a theory that we have at this point it is it is gospel at this point they have well, said the words it's the name of the next episode it, it is that the name of the season premiere of yeah of, of season two okay um so i mean yeah but i mean it goes into it too is in that i think this was something i had brought up last week with the black smoke monster um or the island security system uh, <laughs> in that I, I i wasn't sure we had ever 
anybody had been face to face with it yet. And I think it's confirmed now that I was right. I think this is the first time Locke has ever really looked it in the eye. Because you can see that look of fear in his face when he sees it for the first time, when it's hovering mm-hmm. over him. But he does have that, even in moments like that, and this is going to show you like the true man of faith that he really is, even in a moment when he is at his worst fear, like he is staring death in the face, he still has that faith enough to say to Jack, you should have let me go. Mm-hmm. I would have been fine. Meaning, whatever would have happened was meant to happen. If this creature or whatever this is was supposed to take me, or took me, then it was supposed to take me. Mm-hmm. You know, it was supposed to drag me down in that hole. And at that moment in time, watching the series for the first time, you feel like Locke is crazy. But as this show progresses, I don't think so. You don't think he? You don't think he? You didn't think he was crazy at that point? At that moment? No, I. He was a paralyzed man that can now walk. Okay. I'd be open to possibility as well, just like him. But at the, you know, as we progress further into the series, I'm full on believing he's absolutely right. He would have been fine. Yeah, he, he, it, he it would have been a much shorter series. <laughs> well, yeah, because everything that happens to his character later would have happened a lot sooner. so but that but that brings up an interesting question though do you think that was the intention of the smoke monster grabbing him yes you think it was to do what it what happens to him later yes okay all right i'm just i'm just curious so i don't see another reason no no, I, I I don't really I, I I can see again I I can see it as and it took Locke because it feels a connection to Locke and the island or it was to do what it was what it it does eventually do so um but but no but you know what though it does bring up another question in that when it does do eventually what it does to Locke. In that it takes the form of Locke. That's a, that's a big spoiler, um, because Locke is dead. What would have happened had it happened at that moment? Would it have killed Locke and taken his form, or would both have survived? Because well, I have we, no we, idea. Because we find out later, the only reason it takes Locke Locke's form is because Locke is already dead. So, it, it, yeah, I have no idea. You know, would Locke have still survived and it still would have taken Locke's form? Or would would it have just teamed up with Locke and become a part of Locke? You know, it's it's an entirely different situation at this point of what really would have happened had Locke gone down that hole. We know he would have survived. Well, we believe he would have survived. Um, But is would the, the I think the outcome would have been different. And I just don't know in what way. So. Um, but that is my number two, which leads us so to... So I have a question um, for you before we before we leave uh, the dynamite and lack, lock. Okay. Lack, and lack. Jack and lock. <laughs> um, do you... Why do you think that Locke did not tell Jack that he was paralyzed? When he was discussing about... When he was having that argument with Jack about Be- because everything. when he call- when he flat out calls Jack a man of science I think I think he still kind of keeps that to himself because they're empty words to Jack 
I don't think he, I think he knows that Jack just wouldn't believe him. Because he's a man of science. Or Jack would, would come back with the argument, well, there has to be an explanation. Yeah. I, I think he just wouldn't, I, I think he feels like, he, I think he just keeps that to himself and doesn't tell Jack because he feels like Jack would just kind of, would try and come up with something to explain it. And there really isn't any other explanation to Locke other than his faith. Yeah, and why would Jack think that again? Oh, yeah, because he's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, I I think that's I I think he just doesn't he didn't trust Jack with that information because he just knew it would be a waste of time. He's only told Boone this information, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Crazy. But I mean, you also look at too like it, it's a it's a weird situation to be in for, to look at because you go back to when they actually first got the dynamite from from the Black Rock and they were looking at you know who was going to get it and who was not you know Kate arguing with Jack about I'm going to carry it no you're not I'm going to carry it locks the voice of reason and says look let's just draw straws we don't have time to argue about this and I think it's because again going back to that whole he's got faith in that whatever's meant to if it's it, we'll let fate decide he says that with the drawing of the straws Mm -hmm. And that he's going to let fate and the island decide which one of us is going to carry this dynamite. So, and he kind of puts that right out there by saying, we're just going to draw straws. Let fate decide. We don't have time to argue about this. Right. As in, there's no, there's no point in arguing about this. Yeah, you're right. So, but that leads us down now to our number ones. Um, and most of my biggest ones I've already covered. My number one is not as big as some of the stuff we've already talked about. But uh, Yeah, my number... It's on you. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, so my number one is actually... it's um, We've already kind of touched on it. And that was just kind of like uh, the flashbacks and the present. So just kind of how... Um, I really liked how at the end they were showing everybody loading up on the plane and the tight smiles at strangers, you know, that you give uh, to people that you're going to have to sit next to, but you don't really want to engage with them kind of thing. And, you know, uh, Arnst helping Claire and um, uh, Hurley smiling at Walt and Jack and Locke looking at each other and smiling and then getting uh, and then sitting down in their seats. And it goes uh, with that music that they're playing. It goes right into um, uh, Hurley, Kate, Jack and Locke uh, running towards the hatch uh, after it blew, I yeah. believe. And it just shows, you know, how they went from this real weird, you know, kind of socially accepted tight smile uh, plane situation that we all find ourselves in from time to time to, to this, like we're going to get some dynamite and go through the jungle and blow open a hatch and <laughs> we're all going to be, you know, we're all surviving together. And, you know, it shows Charlie coming into the caves and with Aaron and, you know, uh, this whole community that were strangers uh, not too long ago, now they're kind of like rallying around uh, Claire and Charlie and Aaron and, you know, Shannon's running to Saeed and there's just this, it's just this tight-knit little group of people at the end of this season where we began in the beginning where they, everybody was strangers and nobody knew each other's names. Um, 
so I just really liked seeing that. And, you know, you, we, we got to see Hurley, Jin and Son, Locke, uh, Boone and Shannon, Saeed, Kate, Sawyer, Charlie, uh, Claire, Arst, Mike, Michael and Walt. Um, correct, correct me if I've left anybody out so far, but we got to kind of see them in the airport and getting on the plane and going through security and we're, just kind of being strangers. Yeah, we, we've, we're seeing our key players. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and two dead people. Yes, um, and one who's not necessarily a key player, but I think was fun to throw into the mix because it kind of, what you're saying, funnily enough, ties into my number one again as well. Is it that Arst is an asshole? <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, and it goes into Arst's rant about there's a click on this island. You know, the the Japanese guy's not catching fish for anybody but you. And, you know, I don't know about you, but the rest of us seem to have lost weight while we're on this island. Like, he is a total jerk-off in that scene. But he's making a very valid point in that there are... I don't know. I mean, if he was pleasant to be around, then maybe he could hang out with other people. But it didn't even sound like the teachers that he worked with wanted to sit with him at lunch. So that's an (laughs) arsed problem. But no, but I mean, he is bringing up another point in that there are 40-something survivors of this plane crash, and we're only seeing a handful of them. You know, we're only seeing, um, what, seven or eight of them? As key players, and they're all in a clique together. They're the only ones that go out on the missions. They're the only ones that we see are falling into these desperate situations at times, you know, which is bad for them and good for the rest of the survivors because they're not falling into it unless they're Scott slash Steve getting killed on the beach. But (laughs) (laughs) which comes up yet again in this episode, which I love. I know. Um, But it's, you know, while he is being a total jerk off in this scene, he's making a valid point. There is definitely a click, but it's not necessarily a click in that, you know, these people are just looking out for one another and they don't care about anybody else. We're going to find out later. It's because these, these people are the ones that are connected. Everybody else, I think literally as bad as it sounds to say, they're just collateral damage to this situation. Mm Mm-hmm. They're, they are really just collateral damage. Arst was a red shirt. Yeah, and that's what the rest of these people are. They're people who, while these eight people were meant to be drawn to this island, and this is the way they were brought there, was this plane crash, these are some other people who also just happened to survive. And, and that's, I think, what it boils down to. Well, Arst did have a reason to be there, though. I mean, he was a teacher. He knew about... Uh, the dynamite he got he got to give his last <laughs> his last teaching lesson <laughs> and then and then he did exactly what he shouldn't have done what he told everybody not to do which was to treat it you know with a cavalier attitude you know he was waving it around like it was a baton or something and then it exploded um, but you saw Jack later wetting down a shirt and wrapping up the dynamite exactly as he was taught so I mean Arst did serve a purpose. For and the island. He was one of those island sacrifices. Well, probably. yeah, once, once his purpose was done, the island was done with him and, so, and uh, got rid of him. You know, Nikki and Paolo have a, a reason for being, I don't oh, know. God. Do we <laughs> really have to talk about it? I straight face. 
Uh, it, it's going to be fun when we get to that Nikki and Paolo episode. <laughs> because I hate them so much. We'll be talking about Manifest a lot that episode. <laughs> Let's hope it's back on the air by the time that episode comes around. <laughs> yeah. So we can talk about it. That's uh, a good idea. But yeah, it's... it's um, yeah, it's it's one of those situations that's going to be fun when we get to talk about him. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, once the island is, it seems like once the island is done with you, it 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 cuts it cuts the fat, it trims the fat, and it finds a way to get rid of you. So unless you're oh. one of these eight people, the Oceanic Six plus two or three, <laughs> how many? Plus how, a lot more. Yeah, I think yeah, there was definitely more than two. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had the Oceanic Six, and then there's there's Michael, there's Jin, Desmond. Um, who else um, stayed behind? Um, oh, uh, I can't remember. But there's there's more. We'll, there's we'll get there. More. Yeah, there's definitely more. Um, but yeah, that's that's gonna wrap it up for for my number one as well. Um, I, I I do have a couple other things that we we kind of haven't touched base on. That we can kind of talk about uh, in the notes. Yeah, I, I do too. Um, one of my other favorite moments from this episode um, is the the Jack and Locke moment with them grabbing the dynamite and talking about playing the game Operation. And I thought Locke was hilarious. I thought they were both hilarious in that scene. Like Jack is like, "Wait a minute," and he, and and Locke looks at me and goes, "Yeah, okay." Like he just. <laughs> Well, not only that, but, you know, we get that moment with them lighting the dynamite, too, where, you know, Locke is determined to make this happen. Sawyer is, or Hurley is running at them. Don't light it. Don't light it. What's Locke do? Lights the fuse. Like, he's determined to make this happen. He doesn't care what anybody else thinks. They're blowing this door off the hatch. Yeah. So, but that moment with them talking about playing the game of operation and the moment he lifts the dynamite and Locke's just like, and you see Locke, or you see Jack jump. A little bit it was hysterical to me that was really funny because jack is pissed uh, he is so <laughs> pissed and Locke's just having fun with it he just looks at him like ha ha gotcha <laughs> <laughs> but that's Sucker. exactly what i would be doing is i would be in a really high uh high anxiety situation like that i would be doing my absolute best to make as big of a joke as possible just to try and like cut it just a little bit I you kind of have that, to yeah well jack what by jack saying wait stop and and, and Locke is just like yeah okay, okay. like you can see <laughs> both of them are like i don't want to be here man like, we just saw someone <laughs> blow up in our face he's still got a chunk of him on his back <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's one of those it's one of those whole that whole scene from you know from coming out with the crate to arse blowing up to you know yeah. them wrapping the dynamite and everything it's it's a very serious situation that's handled very lightly. And I mean, yeah. even with Arst blowing up, it's one of those moments where like with Hurley just leaning up and just be like, dude, like, yes, that really just happened. He's like, he like exploded. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. It's like, and it's one oh, of those, and you... all the chunks of him just raining down on the I mean, so you, gross. and you can just kind of see the look in Hurley's faces and like, yeah, that just happened. I'm kind of not surprised at this point with yeah. everything else going on in this island. Why should I be surprised that somebody just blew up? Yeah, you know, it's it, true. But um, 
we uh, we talked a little bit about Danielle and taking taking Aaron. We talked about that a little bit. Um, we did mention that the... I did want to say one thing about that. Though, sure, was um, not about Danielle taking Aaron, but just I cried twice in the two episodes, and they both had to do with Claire. And it, the first time it was when Claire was running through the jungle and just wailing and pleading for Charlie to bring back Aaron. And I just, you know, you think about how the fact that he's like, what, a week old at this point or something like that. So she's filled with all of those postpartum uh, hormones, which are terrible. They really mess with you. And her baby's been taken and she doesn't know what she's doing. And she doesn't think that she even deserves to have him in the first place kind of thing. And, um, you know, just, listening to her just this guttural pleading to Charlie I just I like burst into tears I thought it was um really really well well done by by um Emily Emily yeah Deravin Deravin Emily Deravin yeah there you go her (laughs) um and then when Charlie comes back and she runs and she and she's reunited with Aaron and 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 you can see that the three of them have now become a family with this one gesture yeah from Charlie and it gets me really excited and really sad about their future um cuz it's going to be rocky before it's all the way over but i just love the three of them i love it that you know they kind of represent what being on that island means you know there were they were two complete strangers, and now there's three of them at the end of this season, and they have really kind of pair-bonded all to each other, and I think that that was really beautifully done in this episode. Well, I think it also says a lot, too, for Charlie's character in that, you know, he definitely went through a trauma when he when he killed Ethan. Uh, you know, he did it to protect Claire, and we understand yeah. why he did it, and he definitely went through a trauma afterwards. You know, he was in a dark place afterwards because he killed somebody, but when the moment arises that it comes to defending Claire and defending Aaron again, uh, he makes no hesitation. He goes right to Saeed and says, I need a gun, and mm-hmm. when Saeed questions him on it, like, you killed somebody, he's like, no, I killed a murderer. Or I killed, like, a kidnapper. Or, or no, I think he does say murderer. He said, I killed a murderer. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, it doesn't matter what he's been through in the past. When it comes to protecting Claire and Aaron, there's there's no pulling punches with Charlie. Yes, he, he will He will step up and he will do what needs to be done. I mean, he, he goes to Saeed for a gun. He follows Saeed into the woods. When Saeed tells him to rest, he's like, no, I'm not resting. Let's do this. When he gets mm-hmm. hit in the head with rocks and he's bleeding profusely he becomes a soldier he he literally becomes a soldier in by telling Saeed yeah and by telling Saeed like you're a soldier what do soldiers do when they're wounded and Saeed Mm -hmm. you know flash burns him to close the wound so Charlie has become a soldier at this point yes and and I soldier for his family yeah yeah and I think not only does that work out best for them because he's able to rescue Aaron I think in some ways it builds a mutual respect with Saeed. Yeah, uh, I can see that. I think Saeed has um, some more respect for Charlie by the end of this. Because he, not because of the lengths that he'll, not because, just because of the lengths that he'll go to, but because of why he's going to the lengths that he does. Mm-hmm. He's, he's not, I'll agree with there's that. no quit in Charlie when it comes to Aaron and Claire. 
which is really beautiful because he is very weak in other aspects of his life and he's actually very cavalier with his own life so it's nice to see that he that he loves and respects and cares for these two people as much as he as much as he does uh how bad did Saeed not want to put gunpowder on Charlie's face? <laughs> well, because I, I, I think he didn't feel like Charlie could handle it. Few people could. Oh, yeah. And and I think that's... Yeah, but this gunpowder and fire. Well, I and, I, and again, that leads me to my point of why I think there's now a mutual respect between... I think Saeed yeah. has built a respect for Charlie. Be, mm -hmm. Because, again, there's no quit in Charlie when it comes to that. And you know So Charlie Charlie's kind of like Chandler and he's he's really great once you get to know him. Well, yeah, I, I could see that. But I think it goes a little bit deeper than that. And I think you made a good point in that he, he wasn't very much a strong character. And I think that kind of reflects in all the flashbacks that we've seen in Charlie. Like, even when it comes to, to drive through, I mean, drive shaft, um, <laughs> you know, when it comes to, to drive shaft, you know, being in, being in a band, his brother Liam and everything that he went through with Liam, I don't really think there was ever anything in Charlie's life that he had worth fighting for. Everything was worth, he could lose anything at any point. And I think this is the first time in Charlie's life he has something worth fighting for mm. in Char in Claire and in Turniped. And I, <laughs> I, I just like calling him Turniped. I like Turniped better than Aaron. Um, I, I think this is... I think is the next friend that we have that has a baby, we should send a onesie that does Turniped turn on it. There we go. <laughs> but I, I think this is the first time in Charlie's life he has something worth fighting for. And he will go to any extent to fight for it. I think even more than drive than drive shaft, even more than his own brother, he has the one thing in his life that he will go to the ends of the earth to protect. Yes, I agree with you. So, um, I absolutely agree with you. The only other note I have, and then I'll turn it over to you for anything else that you have left, and it's just something humorous that I love is there's the whole scene with them ha marching to the Black Rock. And Hurley going through his list of what he hopes is in the hatch. And I'm laughing because 90% of what he lists turns out to be in the hatch. Yeah, he has the same thought. <laughs> you know, from, thought. from soap to clean socks to, you know, televisions, not necessarily with cable. But Twinkies, Twinkies, you know, because they live for they have like 80 years. They'll survive for like 80 years. 90% of what is on that list is in the hatch, and I love it. Well, and when um, uh, Locke laughs, he says, I like Twinkies, too. And, and then he says, I think hope is in the hatch. And and I, and I when he said that, I go, yeah, Hurley just said hope. He just said it in more words. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. He said Twinkies. He said hope. You guys are on the same page, okay? Hurley? You just wanted to be cute and vague yeah. and Hurley just told you what his hope literally meant yeah he just listed <laughs> he just described what makes up his hope that's all <laughs> exactly <laughs> 
But I just, I'm watching that scene and hearing the list of things coming out of Hurley's mouth. I chuckled at every one because I'm like, yep, yeah. it's in there. It's in there. That's so it's funny because I had the same moment. I had the same moment. I was like, oh, Hurley, you're going to be so excited when you go in there. <laughs> um, anything else on your list of notes before we, we go into the feedback? Yeah, so the only thing that I really have is that um, I I noticed that in the airport scene with Jin and Sun, when uh, Sun accidentally spills the coffee on, on Jin, and he stands up, and he says it's all right, and he's going to find the bathroom, I noticed that from Jin's perspective in in this, the, the way that we saw this scene, Jin seemed a lot softer and not as harsh. And from Sun's part, when we saw, I think it was last uh, the first part of, of the finale last week's uh, with Sun being able to hear the two people speaking English and kind of getting that running commentary plus Sun being so nervous because of what she's hearing and trying to, you know, also take care of her husband. But uh, he seemed a lot colder and disconnected. And then f- when they shifted the focus, it was just a shift. Uh, he seemed like, no, 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 it's okay. I'm fine. I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'll be okay. And I don't know what made that scene different, but it felt different. And I felt like from Jin's point of view, it, 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 it was something else that was happening. And they left out the conversation with, with that couple who were still there in the scene. So it, it, it was just interesting to me, just the difference uh, in the two scenes. And, and I'd be interested to know if, if you thought the same. I, I, I do think the same thing. And I think a lot of it comes down to, again, we, we kind of touched base on it a little bit earlier in that we get the scene of Jin breaking down last week uh, in Exodus part one. And, you know, we, we kind of become, we kind of flip that switch and we we're back on Jin's side again. And I think, mm-hmm. I think what it comes down to is last week when we first saw that scene was before that breakdown. And now that we've gotten that breakdown, we look at Jin differently. So we saw that scene differently. I think that's one of the reasons why that the writers even replayed that scene is because they wanted you to see that scene now from a different perspective. Right. And well, it was even shot at a different angle, too, from Jin's side of the table rather than Sun's side of the table. It was just, uh, it was something that I wrote down that I just thought was really interesting. Um, the other thing that I wrote down was that the um, the Black Rock ship... Okay, I have a vague memory, because I told you, it's been a really long time since I've seen this show. Um I have a vague memory of us getting like a scene on that ship when it was a ship. Oh, uh, we do. Okay, good. We, I just wanted to make sure that it wasn't my memory wasn't betraying me. We we not only get a scene on that ship when it is an actual ship in the water, but we get more in the Black Rock on the island. Right. Okay. Yeah. That, that's that, this I, is this is far from the last time we will see that ship. Right. 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 I just wanted to make sure that. I was thinking of that particular memory of them because, you know, I, I've seen a lot of movies and TV shows that have black uh, slave ships on them, right? So, yeah, it's like Amistad. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. No, it's. And then it, I couldn't remember if like Mr. Echo was on that ship, but I was like, no, that seems wrong. Yeah, that's definitely wrong. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's not Mr. Echo. I didn't know if maybe he was having like a fever dream or something. This is like, so, so my whole brain was just like, okay, I'm too mi- I'm too mixed up. Kristen, just concentrate on this particular episode <laughs> and then we should be fine. <laughs> but the Black Rock slave ship, I, that's really hard for me to say. Say if I um, find fast. No. Okay. <laughs> um, does come back in a flash way back. Oh, yeah. A way flashback. <laughs> A way flashback. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we will see that uh, at some point during the series as an actual ship. And I think not only do we see I that as an actual ship. I love having fuzzy memories of this show. Well, that's the beauty of it is like having seen this show multiple times through, I'm still discovering new things every time I watch it. Right. right. And, and not having seen it in as many years as I have, it's really fun to revisit and... Um, and know what's going on, but at the same time, I've got a lot of details fuzzy, so it makes it fun to rewatch in that sense. Because with Game of Thrones, I know the whole thing by heart, backwards and forwards, up and down. And so this is this is a much different rewatch, and, and I really enjoy that. And I'm I'm actually looking forward to think when we were when I was rewatching this and watching all the scenes on the raft, there is um there's a particular moment in season two, episode two that I distinctly remember uh, it was one, I had literally just bought a TiVo over the summer. So it was my introduction to DVR before all the cable companies started carrying their own. TiVo mm-hmm. was literally the first DVR. And I remember it was one of the first times I ever had that instinct to use it because there was, cool. a, there was a particular moment of something that happened while I was watching it live. And I just remember like, I don't care if this is live. I need to rewind and see if I just saw what I think I just saw. Cool. And I'm looking forward to when we get to that episode and when we talk about that moment. Because it turns out I was right about something when that happened. And it was great because I remember talking to people about the show the next day and being like, did you see such and such? And they're like, no. And I had to remind them of it and even show some people on my DVR that moment, which was really cool. Oh, cool. Vindication. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Cool. So I... and do you have any other notes? No, I'm done. Okay. Um, then I think it's time we move on. We actually got a good discussion out of a two-part finale, but I thought I figured we would, too. Yeah. So uh, we have some feedback. Our friends Steve and Dez have left us voicemails once again. And so we're going to start with Steve, and we will play that now. Are you on the same island as I am? I love that line from Rousseau uh, when they're talking about when uh, Hurley asks how the ship got there or Arts asks how the ship got there. Uh, just, just so many things uh, that made me chuckle in this episode. And uh, as annoying as Arts was, um, he didn't deserve that, really, really. I-, I loved the conversation he has with Hurley about the fact that even though he's a teacher, he still had to deal with the cliques and um, – Back to your conversation, I, I think from the, the previous episode, doesn't Vincent, doesn't he end up with Rose and Bernard at the end of the, the series? I, I mean, I know we're spoiler full, so it shouldn't be a shock to anyone to learn that Rose and Bernard end up staying on the island uh, when this is all over. Uh, I loved the Hurley flashbacks in this episode. I, I think that was probably my favorite part of this this episode. Um loved uh, Saeed. He's so practical and, and pragmatic, but
but yet when he's dealing with Shannon, there's a romantic side of him where he says it's not a burden if I carry it, and then he he takes the 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 pack to lead the hike, but yet he and Charlie go off and they find Rousseau where she was trying to possibly trade Aaron for her daughter. Not sure exactly what was going on there. And uh, just I'm excited for the rest of this series rewatch. I really am because it, it to see it now and to see how they really did have a plan. They knew where this was going and maybe they didn't know it was only going to be five seasons, but they definitely had a, a uh, an idea of what they wanted to do. And uh, so just, just excited to, to hear uh, whoever you guys get to interview. Uh, ben, it was great uh, to meet you in New Jersey. Can't wait to, to meet you again. And Kristen can't make, well, wait to meet you at uh, some point in the future. All right. I'll be listening. Thanks. I love Steve. I do too. And I was going to say, if he didn't mention it during the voicemail, it was. I finally got to meet him this past weekend in uh, at a meetup, uh, at a podcastica meetup in New Jersey, which was a lot of fun. That's so, so cool. Yeah, I'm jealous. I wanted to go. I, I know couldn't you did. go. I, we wish you. We wish you could have been there. We really did. Um, I got pictures of shots being taken, so that was good. <laughs> yeah, I did. I was not in on those shots. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but I got offered. I just, I just turned down because of. Uh, I, I'm not because really... you're not that good of a friend. What? That's not. I'm just true. kidding. That's not true at all. <laughs> just. But I'm glad that Steve has come around on the whole idea that the writers actually did know what they were doing with this. Because, again, I mentioned that earlier. That's one of those things that was one of the biggest complaints that people had with the show is they felt that they didn't know. The writers didn't know where they were going with the show. And Mm -hmm. I I disagree with that completely. I think they had a plan for this series. And it went, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the six seasons that they told it, not not the five, unfortunately, that Steve mentioned it, six seasons. But... <clears throat> they totally knew where they were going with it. They had a plan. Um, they might have faltered in the plan every once in a while, but they had a plan and they executed mm-hmm. it to the best that they could with the time that they had. Agreed. So I love to, I, we didn't even bring it up, but uh, about the whole romantic side to Saeed. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, if I carry it, it's not a burden. There really is something really romantic about that line. Well, he's romantic. When he's not shoving bamboo under people's fingernails. Yes. Yes. There has to be a soft side. <laughs> yes. The softer side of Saeed. Oh. <laughs> That's another series. That's so sweet. That's yeah, another... there you go. It's a spinoff. The softer side of Saeed. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, I, I love it when Steve leaves voicemails too, because there's always something in there that we might have forgotten or mm-hmm. we just want to revisit like Hurley's back, like Hurley's flashbacks. Cause they were so much fun this episode. Mm-hmm. So, I agree. Uh, we do have another voicemail this time from Des. So let's go ahead and play that one right now. Now. Hey guys, just realized that it's Thursday and I'm probably already too late, but I thought I'd call in with my notes on this episode. I actually took them over two weeks ago. So I'm just going to read through them really quick. Um, Loved it. Danielle's line. Are you on the same island as I am? Yeah. Um, Arch pointed out there's 40 other survivors. They're people too. So I guess this was them setting us up for Nikki and Paolo. Thank you. Uh, The Arch explosion. 
I knew it was coming, but it gets me every single time. Uh, let's see. Saeed allows Charlie one hit. That's it. Just the one. You know. And I got to say, Jack, you're the only doctor. You should not be, you know, anywhere near dynamite. No. Um, the cave set, for some reason, always makes makes me think of Land of the Lost. Uh, Jack saves Locke from Smokey. Does he get a thank you? No, just a little bit of attitude. And one thing I did notice in this episode, which I'm sure everybody else notices too, it seems like someone is actively trying to keep Hurley off the plane. So do you think maybe, I don't know, the man in black had something to do with it or just just coincidence as opposed to fate? I don't know. Okay, well, I'm going to let you guys go and can't wait to hear season two. Thanks, Dez. I, okay, I have a couple notes from Dez's voicemail. Uh, first off, I, we need the copyright art explosion. Yeah, that was great. That's great. I, I love that term. And I wish we got more of arts exploding just to use that more. Uh, but as Steve <laughs> mentioned, arts didn't really deserve that. <laughs> so um, note number two. Uh, for somebody who defends Jack the, as much as he does, Des, you are just feeding Kristen's fire of Jack being the worst. The worst. <laughs> By saying he's a doctor, he should not be around live dynamite. I agree completely. Um, but uh, yeah, you're just feeding. You're just throwing another log on the fire for Kristen. That's all you're Don't doing. feed the beast. <laughs> and the only other note I have is... Even though I couldn't avoid it in our own discussion, God, now Nikki and Paolo are being brought up in voicemails, and it's, mm-hmm. oh, God, I'm going to... I like it that everybody knows that the Nikki and Paolo episode <laughs> sucks. I know. It's great. I love it. I can't, I can't wait. I, I'm not looking forward to, but yet can't wait to talk about that episode. Yeah, it so should be much. fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think that's just about going to wrap it up for, for this episode. As I said, next week we're going to do um, a little bit of a season recap. It might not be as long of an episode. We're just going to probably point out some of our favorite moments from the season and, and kind of break it down a little bit uh, if there's anything additional that we we might want to bring up for, for the season. And uh, who knows, maybe one of these interviews will pan out between now and then as well. But it's... Uh, I'm. Don't know if that's going to happen by the season recap. Maybe the week after. We, we shall see. Um, yeah, that that's just about it uh, for the podcast. Uh, we want you to, uh, we definitely want your feedback going into season two. And if you have any additional notes from season one that you'd like to hear us talk about when we do the season one recap next week, please send us the feed, please send the feedback our way. There are multiple ways that you can do that. First, you can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash lost revisited. We are on Instagram at lost revisited pod where I recently uh, threw up a poop po- post oh. <laughs> a post <laughs> post. Oh God. I can't tell you how much I post on Instagram. Um, <laughs> you can of course email us at lost revisited pod at gmail.com. If you want to leave a message, you can record yourself and send it to our email address or on Facebook Messenger. 
And last but not least, we want you to check out the, uh, not just this podcast, but all of the other great podcasts and content we have both on the Podcastica and Next Level Podcast Networks. So, Yay. Uh, yeah, there's uh, some fun stuff coming, at least from the Next Level side uh, into 2019. A bunch of uh, new podcasts coming, uh, joining the network, which is going to be a lot of fun. Cool. We'll have to plug them when they when they start up. Nah, we don't have to. Okay. No, we will. We'll let them fend for themselves. <laughs> yeah. But this has been fun going through season one. And the show is only getting bigger and more intense, especially into season two. So yeah, this has been really fun. I've, I've been very much enjoying uh, doing this. And this is just relaxing and fun. And it just feels like I get to hang out with uh, my friend Ben. So yeah, I'm with it and i i know we were talking a little bit about this before we even started recording but uh this podcast hopefully even when we're done with the lost rewatch uh we have other we have other ideas so we're we're gonna gonna keep going even after we're done with lost we we don't know what direction yet but we'll come up with something it'll be a direction (laughs) it'll be in some direction uh but that's going to wrap it up for this week in the podcast. Again, remember, send us your feedback in any way that you would like. We would love to hear it. Uh, leave us a mm-hmm. review on iTunes as well because we can read that on the podcast as well. But until, yeah. uh, until next time, we'll see you further down that rabbit hole. Take care. Bye. We have to go back, Kate. We have to go back!